Shabbat Shalom, everyone, and Mazel Tov. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Now you can fall asleep as soon as I start talking. But at least I know that I woke you up for a moment. So my mother, she's not going to be happy about this, but she's in Florida and I'm here. And unless she listens to the sermon's podcast, and they're podcasted every week, I figure I'm totally safe. So a little bit of background will help. My mother is actually a fourth-generation Glaswegian. She's from Scotland. She's very British. And when I was a kid, uh, when tracksuits were all the rage in the 1970s, I asked her if I could get one to wear to school, and she answered me with the straightest face. She said, her children will not go outside in pajamas. And then more years ago than I would like to count, I got the idea somehow that talking and saying words that the adults used in movies might be a good idea. My mother didn't agree. I didn't agree with her not agreeing. And at some point, and I can't put my figure exactly on when this happened in the cycle of this, but at some point, I found my little self at the kitchen sink, getting my mouth literally washed out with soap. And all this came to me because I read, a few months ago, I read the autobiography of Helen Keller. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. It's short. And she wrote that she was a very close friend of the great American author Mark Twain. And she writes, which I didn't know, that Mark Twain had a filthy, foul mouth. And Twain's habit of swearing was upsetting, particularly to his Baptist wife, who had tried over and over again to get him to st stop, especially in front of the children. And after years of trying, she finally decided on a method to get him to stop. One day while shaving, he cut himself, and he recited a stream of horrible words. And when he was finished, his wife, hoping to shock him, repeated every word back to him. And then Twain looked at her and calmly said, Sweetheart, you have the words, but you don't have the music. The words we use for this kind of language is varied. We call it cursing. In old times, they call it cussing. It was also referred to as profanities, or even earlier, it was referred to as a word blasphemy. I say this because in our day and age, cursing isn't shocking at all. It's ubiquitous. We're not shocked in any way. But the question of what we say is an ancient question and concern. And there's a section from the Torah that we read this morning that I want to read it to you, that if you paid attention, you probably didn't like it very much. And it goes as follows. And God said to Moses, speak to the Israelites saying this, that anyone who blasphemes God shall bear his guilt, and that he should be put to death. And wait, it gets worse. The whole community shall stone him, and he should be put to death. In other words, the punishment for blasphemy is death according to the Torah. And blasphemy, of course, is saying things that are terrible about God and about sacred things. In the Torah, it didn't mean the words that you say when you stub your toe into the sofa. Now, this may sound 
so very ancient and out of date with their time and place. But the news that I have for you this morning is that blasphemy is making a comeback and in a really big way. And this isn't just saying that people have suddenly started cursing and defaming not God's name again and what we think God to be. No. People have been doing that for a very long time. But the punishment and enforcement of blasphemy is back. And along with it, it's some very serious questions about the kind of world that we're living in. Now, we know that nearly every Muslim-majority nation has blasphemy laws on its books. In Indonesia, the mayor of Jakarta, who is Catholic, was investigated, charged, and then imprisoned, imprisoned for blasphemy because he suggested to voters that they should vote according to the character of the candidate, not according to their religion. In Saudi Arabia, at this very moment, there is someone who is in prison for declaring themselves to be an atheist. The British and Jewish comedian Stephen Fry was charged and investigated for, for blasphemy by the Irish police for calling God stupid in an interview. In Ireland. But perhaps the most famous case of religious blasphemy is now celebrating its 30th anniversary this year, involving the writer Salman Rushdie. Rushdie, as some of you may remember, is a celebrated Indian-born Muslim and then British-educated writer. He achieved fame early in his life, winning the Booker Prize for only his second novel, a book called Midnight's Children. His next work will go on to achieve much more than literary fame. That book was called, the third one, The Satanic Verses. Published in 18, 1989, it was a work that was arguing to look at the Quran as a beautiful but human and imperfect work, to see Muhammad as a remarkable but very human religious figure, and to see Islam not as the word of God, but as a search for God. Two months after being published, the ruler of Iran, the Ayatollah Khomeini, issued a fatwa or death penalty on him for writing and disseminating blasphemous works in the name of Islam. Reports of death squads being sent abroad to hunt him down began to appear in the news. And Rushdie, then only 41 years old, was forced into hiding. British police then put him under protective custody. A bounty of over $4 million was placed on his head for information that would lead to his death. And this wasn't just words because numerous attempts on his life have been made. Now, all of them have failed, but the fatwa still stands. And the Iranian government, despite intense diplomatic pressure, still refuses to recant it. Accusations of blasphemy were behind the attacks in Paris on the newspaper offices of Charlie Hebdo and also on the murder of the Danish filmmaker Theo van Gogh. Now, I know that most of us would like to think that this is an Arab or a Muslim problem. But most of the blasphemy laws on the books in Muslim countries were written by the British when they controlled those lands, all of which is an extension of European Christian blasphemy and heretic laws that were developed and impl implemented over a thousand years ago. And don't think that we're getting off the hook here too, because we're not. First of all, all of these laws come from the verse in the Torah that I quoted to you just a little while ago. And second, we have our own history of tarring and feathering people that we don't like 
what they say or write or believe. And as difficult as it might be but to, to believe that there are movements amongst Jews to burn some of the books of the great sage Moses Maimonides and to ban reading them starting from the 12th century. And it still continues to this day. Some people still believe that he was a heretic and that he was blasphemous. So if anyone accuses you that you're a heretic or you blaspheme, you're in very good company. And that's because even the ancient rabbis of the Talmud, what they did to this idea is what they did to a lot of ideas in Judaism, is that they interpreted the idea of blasphemy as being something else. Because the rabbis themselves blasphemed God. On one occasion when surveying the pain of human suffering and God's silence and an action to it, one of the rabbis said, Don't say, Don't say, Who is like you, God, amongst all the other gods? But say it as, Which means, Who is as deaf as you amongst all the other deaf people? When they discussed the law and punishment for blasphemy and criticizing God, one ancient sage said, rather than stoning people, why don't we just ask people to tear a piece of their clothing like a mourner does at a funeral whenever they hear words of blasphemy? And another rabbi says, if we agree to that, people will be tearing their clothes all day long. And that's where the debate ends. So let's be clear. The freedom to be able to speak freely in our day is not only found with problems in the religious world, it's alive and well in the political and academic and media world too. There are movements on the left and the right who are determined to see that people only speak and think in a certain way that accords with their belief in what they think is right and acceptable. Regularly in university campuses throughout the Western world, Debates are disrupted and canceled. Professors and books considered to be insensitive, offensive, and oppressive are attacked, mitigated, and ignored. Jewish organizations, Israeli academics, and artists regularly are subjected to ostracization, not because of what they have said or what they do, but because of where they come from. They are considered to be triggers of insensity, ins insensitivity to people. Jewish students wanting to join the leadership of university student unions, have been asked to take disloyalty oaths against the Jewish state and Jewish causes. Which is to say that Jews are all too familiar with the danger that comes when people draw lines and determine who and what is good and who and what is bad. Deborah Lipstadt, in her new book on anti-Semitism, Lipstadt might be familiar to you, they made a movie, based on her trial against the Holocaust denier, David Irvine. She tells the story of a biology professor named Brett Weinstein at Evergreen College in Washington. For decades, the college observed a day of absence, where students and faculty of color voluntarily chose not to come to the campus to show and highlight what an all-white society would look like. Two years ago, the organizers said and said, that white-skinned people would now be asked to leave the campus for the day. Weinstein refused, saying that there is a difference between choosing to leave of your own wish and then being told to leave because of your skin color. 
Six months later, after suffering through cycles and weeks and months of accusations of being insensitive and being a racist, he had to resign his post and leave the city because the police ultimately told him that they couldn't protect him any longer. And this is repeated over and over again in politics, in media, and the educational system where people refuse to allow others the freedom to talk and express and openly debate because we accuse people and then shut them down by calling them racist, misogynist, right-wingers, left-wingers, religious, fundamentalists, secular, and the lists go on and on. Ask yourself this. How are you supposed to disagree with people that you won't even listen to? How will you ever come to know, and how will our children ever come to know what they really believe, unless you encounter ideas and words that make you sick? And I can't count anymore the times that I receive phone calls and I'm asked, Rabbi, so-and-so said this, and I know they're wrong, but I can't explain why. Can you help me? When you listen carefully to people who are passionately anti-Semitic, anti-Zionistic, racist, or conspiracy theorists, you realize how skilled they are at avoiding facts because they're afraid of them. When dangerous ideas are brought up, we have the power to use words to defeat them. And the best antidote to a bad idea is a good one. Throughout the course of human history, we've seen obscurant, backward, wrong ideas come to life and then thrown into the trash bin because they were defeated and they were debated. People should have the right to believe bad ideas. And then we hope that they grow out of them. Believing in and then discarding stupid ideas is all the part of becoming a complete and mature person. After all, who here still believes the same things they did when you were 15 or 20? Who here looks back at letters or essays that they wrote and asks, how did I ever believe that? I know I do. I know I think of that of myself even five years ago. Because I know that the person that I want to be must continually change. I have to think and examine, and perhaps by doing so, I will find new truths that will replace my, the ones that I have now. So I look back at the things that I wrote, and at times I feel as though it was written by someone else. And then I tell myself that someone else did. It was a younger me. And it's not hypocrisy to change your mind. It's maturity. Today, we don't take people out to the city square and stone them for speaking or writing ideas we don't like. We do something better. We contradict them. Shabbat shalom.